Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. I want to thank Pastor Rob and the leadership team again for the invite to be with you all here. This is it. This is it for me this summer. And uh, I I personally just want to thank you for behaving while Pastor Rob was away. You know, uh, I I do appreciate that. He's back now, so that's great. And uh, we'll see what else God has for us uh, this summer. Um, Why don't we stand together again? I apologize to have to make you do it twice. We're going to... Squatting, just call it squatting and you'll be fine and you can have that hamburger later, it's fine, no big deal. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to pick this up in verse 15, so if you, want, if you have your Bible and you're looking it up, it obviously will be in the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, this is Jesus speaking, anyone with ears to hear, oops, sorry, just kidding, 16, my bad. To what can I compare this generation? It is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John, John the Baptist, didn't spend his time eating and drinking and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, this is Jesus' favorite title for himself, The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. And for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we wanna thank you for this morning. We wanna thank you, God, for the opportunity to come, to sing, to worship, to allow our hearts to once again be stirred and moved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus, we give you this time. We give you our attention. Jesus, you promise us rest. You promise us refreshment, God. Lord, you promise to always be there for us. So God, may we leave from this place having met with you, having been challenged by you, saying yes to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Some of you, you know, I used to DJ, the glory days, really. Uh, and, and I mean, like any DJ, I loved a great party. You know who my favorite was? My favorite were the crazies, right? 
Some of you are in this room. I will not, I will not point you out. You're the person that, that, that dances all night long. Any song, right? Like any song that's played, that's you, right? All night long. It's the people that stand on tables. It's the people that shout from chairs. It's the people that swing yes from the chandeliers. Don't worry, folks. Those memories, while burned in my mind forever, I will never speak of them. I promise you. Other than this time. Um, The people that I actually got to appreciate the most were the people who couldn't dance. Now, before you think that I somehow, you know, made fun of people that, this is self-proclaimed on your part. Now, I had nothing to do with this, okay? You told me I have two left feet. I have 10 left feet. That's on you. That's not on me. But here's the thing. Those people, those who could not dance, they didn't use that as an excuse to not participate in the celebration. See, these are the people that outline the circle of the dance party. While all the crazies were going in there, right? Not there yet. While all the crazies, we're not to the miserables, while all the crazies are in the middle of the dance floor having the time of their lives, there you are trying to just keep beat with your foot, tapping and smiling. Tapping, just tap and smile, tap and smile, and let nobody pull me into the middle, right? You didn't use the excuse that you couldn't dance to keep you from participating in the celebration. You didn't let that keep you from smiling and being joyful. The people that always make a party tough, no matter if you're a DJ, MC, or the bride or the groom, are those who are miserable. Now, you know who those people are. Those are the people that somehow got stuck at your table, but man, you're thinking about fasting for the rest of the night so you don't have to hang out with them, right? It's the person who comes up and is angry that you didn't play their song. Sir or ma'am, No one knows your song, and if I play this song, we're going to have a funeral here, right? Like, that's what we're looking at. It's the person that on their way out, they're like, this party was terrible. No one had a great time. You're you're the only person that actually didn't burn calories tonight. The wait staff burned off more calories than you did, right? The miserables, those that chose not to participate. I bring this up because you and I have been there before. You see, there have been times in our lives when people are calling us to participate. People want us to join in on the fun, and you're just not going to do it. A few Saturdays ago, we were hanging out for a family barbecue. One of the cousins is like, we're having such a great time. This is such a blast. I'm like, I know we're having such a great time. She goes, next year, we're going to do a family obstacle course for the barbecue. And I go, absolutely not. She throw, why? I don't know. But just something about next year, this time, I don't think so, you know? Maybe I just am afraid. Maybe I don't want to become a viral video. Maybe there's an obstacle course that's just too difficult for me. I, I don't know. And friends, you know this to be true. There are times in our lives when someone challenges us, when someone calls us to participate, when someone's like, hey, join in on what's happening, and you don't want to do it. You don't want to participate. The reasons for that are endless, and you, you alone, know best why you choose not to engage. Let's take this a little deeper. The God of the universe the king of kings, 
the Lord of Lords, he calls us, he invites us into what he is already doing. God is on the move. God is active in your workspaces, in, the, in your neighborhoods, at these summer hangouts that we have challenging you with. God is at work in the lives of the people around you. And what he's looking for is his sons and in daughter, his daughters leaning in, joining in, participating in where God is already at work. But you and I both know that there are times that we just will not do it. What's your reason? God, I'm a little busy right now. I've got a lot going on. God, I really just want to take a break this summer. I've been working hard all year. Surely I need this rest. Oh man, you're not going to like what I have to say later. Surely I need this rest. God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what saying yes and leaning in What that might mean for me. God, I'm angry with you. Why is it that you're moving over there? Why are you moving in the life of that person, but you're not doing the same thing for me? That promise that you gave me, it hasn't come into fruition. And so we keep God at a distance. We stay back. We remain unengaged. But friends, there's a danger in here. When you and I remain unengaged with the God of the universe, when you and I say no to his invitation to participate, you and I become the generation that misses out on the goodness, on the blessings, on the plans, on the promises that God has, not just for me and you, but for the people around us. And so you and I have to actually contend with this question. You and I have to contend with the question of what kind of generation do we want to be known as in God's history? What kind of generation do we want to become? It's a lot of bad news, but I came here to give you some good news, friends, because the good news is this, brothers and sisters of the plant church, We have the opportunity, you and me, we have the opportunity to become a generation who says yes to Jesus Christ with uncompromised obedience. We have that opportunity. It is before us. And so here we have Jesus. Jesus begins this passage for us. Jesus begins this passage with a question this morning. To what can I compare this generation to? How can I compare and contrast this generation that's before me? You see, Jesus is asking this question because he's already been at work. Jesus has already been active. He's already been on the move. He's already healed. People that were blind could see. Those who were lame could walk. The dead have been risen from their graves. Jesus is preaching with authority. Man, he's turned water into wine for crying out loud. At a wedding. And what Jesus is noticing is that there's actually people, yes, some people have responded, but by and large, people have kept themselves at a safe distance, unsure about which way to go. And so Jesus says, well, here's a parable that's like it. And and in this culture, this would have been jarring to them. 
He says, this generation is like children who complain to one another, who complain to their friends. Hey, look, we, we played a celebration song. We played a wedding song. We invited you to participate, but you didn't want to do it. Fine. These people don't want to smile. These people don't want to have a blast. They don't want to have a great time. Okay, fine. Let's play a song of mourning. But you are unresponsive to that too. So what Jesus is saying, hey, in your viewing, in your hearing, the God of the universe has been moving, but you have been unmoved. You have not been stirred. You have not engaged. This is a culture that they would have been thrown back by this. Because back in those days, when you were invited to a wedding, it was not a request. It was a requirement. Not for you to be the miserable person at the table, but when the songs start going and the shouting and the dancing and going in circles starts happening, everyone was required to be on that dance floor. Hey, when the funeral hits, what they used to do in this culture is they used to hire people to help others mourn. They would hire people that had nothing to do with the community, nothing to do with the relatives, nothing to do with the family members or the key people in the community. They would come through and just start weeping. They would come through and just start singing songs of mourning to help other people engage with their sadness, to help other people engage with their grief. Are you getting the picture? Jesus is saying, it's not that you just didn't want to participate. It's that you chose to forcefully stand against the norms of our society. You stood forcefully against what was happening around you. And in this case, Jesus is saying, you have dug your heels in and forcefully said, God, I'm not interested. I don't know why I'm not interested. I'm just not interested. But friends, what does it look like? What does it look like for us? Because here's the thing. Jesus is asking us the same question today. Jesus asked this 2,000 years ago, but he is still asking the same question. What kind of generation will you and me be likened to? So what does it look like to say yes to Jesus with uncompromised obedience? How do you know you're saying yes to Jesus with uncompromised obedience? You and I know we are saying yes when we perceive, when you perceive, and participate in what God is already doing. Verse 17, we played wedding songs, you didn't dance. Funeral songs, you didn't mourn. 18, for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. The John that Jesus is referring to here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one, remember, remember when we started that Mark series, we focused in on John the Baptist? So John the Baptist comes in and he's preaching a message, message of repentance. He's challenging the people, listen, Your life is out of alignment with the God of the universe. You need to reconsider your sin. You need to reconsider how you've lived your life. You need to reconsider how sin has impacted who you are. And John challenged everybody, the people, the religious establishment. He even challenged the king. And in just a few chapters, I think maybe even the next chapter, it would cost him his very life. Some people said yes. Some people leaned in, but by and large, what Jesus is saying here is everybody thought he was demon-possessed. You see, here's the thing about John. John was a little crazy. John didn't have any Armani suits. This is not an Armani suit. I got off clearance. 
Um, I said that in the second service, so that would never be recorded in the first. Okay. John, he, he wasn't high profile. He ate bugs. He ate honey. His clothes were really itchy. He hung out in the wilderness. People were like, what are you doing out in the wilderness? Don't you have a home? And John's like, this is where I live. This is where I preach. This is where people come and find me. So John was crazy. All right, here you have Jesus. Jesus comes in and he's celebrating, right? He's preaching. He turns water to wine. He brings all this life where he is. Everybody wants a piece of this, right? Everybody wants to talk to Jesus. But he begins to be questioned by the people. Some respond yes, but others say, you know what? He's a little too close to those who are living on the margins. He's a little too comfortable with the sinners and the tax collectors. And we're just unsure. If Jesus is hanging around people like this, could he be from God really? Could he be a prophet? Does he not know the riffraff? Is that how you say it? Riffraff. And which he hangs out with. John was too rigorous. Jesus was way too inclusive. I'm uncomfortable with either extreme. And so I'll just take a step back. And I'll keep at a distance. But what Jesus is saying here is to this generation, see, you missed it. John came preaching truth. I came to bring the full revelation of God. Jesus is saying, I am the apex of the revelation of God. You want to know God? See my life. You want to know God, the God of heaven and earth? Engage my life. But the people were like, no thanks. One of my favorite superheroes is Spider-Man or Spider-Girl, Spider-Woman. Ladies, this is your time to make noise. Four of you, cool. All right. Um, So this is one of, my, my, one of my favorite characters. One of the things I love about Spider-Man is one of his uh, special powers, or Spider-Woman, special powers called Spidey Sense. Now, for them, Spidey Sense became active when danger was nearby. They didn't see it. They maybe didn't hear it just yet. But something in their surroundings would shift, would change. The environment would move. So much so that this Spidey Sense kicked in and they knew danger was lurking. And it would get more active the nearer they got to danger. The really cool thing about Spidey Sense is when Spider-Man or Spider-Woman was disoriented, when they couldn't see or hear properly, they would use their Spidey Sense to navigate through their difficult circumstance. Friends, the question for us today is, when we don't feel God, when we don't see God, when we don't hear God, are you still close enough to the God of the universe that his spirit is leading you through your circumstance, that your, his spirit is leading and navigating you through your situation? Are you close enough? Are you spending enough time with God that though it doesn't make any sense to you, he is guiding and leading you through? And so this is what Jesus' challenge is here Uh, is in this moment. People are being stirred. People are being moved. But they don't engage it. Internally, people are being brought to tears. They know that there's new hope on the horizon. But they choose 
to step back. Jesus is forgiving. He's healing. He's blessing. He's bringing life. But people say no. Friends, have you learned to perceive what God is up to in your life? And are you saying yes when he calls your name? So number one, we know we're saying yes to Jesus Christ when you perceive and participate in what God is doing. Number two, when you become like a child. Verse 25 says this. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and, re- and for revealing them to the childlike. My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son, and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. See, Jesus is challenging their preconceived notions about their knowledge of God. They think they know God, but Jesus is saying, you don't know or understand God. You don't know what God is doing. And so Jesus takes it one step more. He says this revelation, the revelation of God, the revelation and understanding of what God is doing is actually revealed to those who are childlike. This is a metaphor, okay? Jesus isn't specifically saying it's revealed to only two-year-olds, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds. The Lord knows that. For some of you in this room, you didn't come to know Jesus at that age. It came for you a lot later in life. But what Jesus is saying, this, this childlike here, it's a metaphor for those who are choosing not to trust in their own understanding, It's for those who are choosing not to live life based on their own strength, their own power, their own wisdom. No, they have become people who learn how to trust in Jesus. Why? Because the Father has put everything into Jesus' hands. He's entrusted Jesus with everything in this moment. Have you ever seen a child trust? You ever see a, a child take a step of faith? It's beautiful when it happens, right? Your, your kids, your grandkids, maybe your friends' kids, they, they wow you with some of the steps of faith that they take. I remember us going on family vacation a number of years ago, and uh, my daughter actually taught herself how to swim on this vacation. So she turns to me and says, Dad, I'm done with floaties. Okay, cool. That's great. You're super Latin American. I'm done with floaties. I'm going to jump in and go to the other side. Now, here's the thing. In this moment, she wasn't thinking about all of the factors that were in play, right? Up until this moment, now we've been working with her. It wasn't like, oh, the first time like in the water. We've been working with her. She's at floaties on, okay, here's how you want to swim. Here's how you go to one side. Here's how you go to the other. You know, your floaties keep you up, right? Giving her confidence in that way. But in this moment, she's saying, dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. I'm going to the other side. Will you watch me? Of course, I'm here. Mom wasn't around, but I was. Thank the Lord. Go for it. Go for it. So she plunges in. She swims all the way to the other side, touches the other side of the pool, pops up. She turns. She's like, did you see me? Did you see me? Of course I saw you. I've been here the whole time. She hops in again, swims all the way to the other side. Did you see me, Dad? Did you see me? Yes, I saw you. I saw you. I've been watching you the whole time. And then back and forth she went. And that was it. No more floaties for this kid, right? If in that moment I would have said, now, honey, here's, here's the thing. Before you jump in, I just want to tell you about a few, a few situations and circumstances that might come about. I want to let you know that it's possible. Look, look number one, you've never done this with, without floaties before. So that's, that's the first big risk we're about to take here, okay? The second great risk that you're about to take is you've actually never done this without floaties 
within pool water that you can't touch the bottom, okay? So here's the thing. Halfway through, you might get tired. Just call for me if that happens. I'll jump right in. I'll save you. No big deal, you know? Uh, but don't be nervous. Don't be scared, okay? If you find that you're in trouble, try to do this thing real quick, right? Would you do that to your child? Maybe you have. I don't know. Maybe it's a different, different like, well, I use those words, but just a different circumstance over here. In that moment, had I told her, had I given her information, had I told her in that moment all the things that could go wrong, it's quite possible that she actually never takes the plunge. It's, it's possible that still to this day, I'm really looking for some large floating devices for my kid, right? But thankfully, that's not the case. How many of us Trust that the promises of God are going to come true in our lives. We may be the generation that has more information at our fingertips than any generation before us. But beware of knowledge and information. How many of us have been in those moments where you know clear as day God is calling you to do something, and yet in that moment you're saying, I don't know. If I could just have a little bit more information, God then I would happily take that faith-filled risk. Then I would happily step out in faith, plunge in with you. But here's the reality, friends. If God gave us the plan, if God gave us the process, I guarantee you that you and me, we wouldn't go. But this is a promise in the end. Yeah, yeah, but, but this thing happening on this day and this month and, and me having to do this thing and be confronted with that thing and then, you know, this thing's gonna go awry and I'm not gonna, I, you know, I, I'm not gonna understand why it goes wrong. You wouldn't do it. And so God keeps that from us. But you know what his promise to us is? His promise to us, to you and to me, is that he is there with us. He is watching us. That when he calls your name and you take that plunge, that he has your back. Is there anybody in this room that can have a testimony like that? That you've seen it when, when you've been disoriented, when you don't feel it, when you don't hear it, when you don't sense it. You've taken that plunge anyway, believing that the God of the universe has your back. Four of you. All right, I brought my own testimony today. Don't worry about it. Do you trust the promises of God in your life? Or do you not move forward until God reveals the whole thing? Yes, friends, you know you are saying yes to Jesus with uncompromised obedience. When you perceive and participate in what God is already doing. Number two, when you become like a child. And finally, when you learn to rest in Jesus Christ while on his mission. Verse 28 says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The thing that Jesus says just a few verses before, there's something that just cut through the heart. But again, Jesus is giving these people the opportunity to perceive and to participate in what God is doing. He sees their striving. He sees their toiling. 
He sees their harassment. He sees their struggle in trying to figure out their way to God. He sees that these heavy burdens that they've been carrying, all the spaces that they've been dropping these heavy burdens on are not satisfying. They're actually not helping. And so when the burdens are picked up again, they feel even heavier than when they were carried the first time around. You've been there? But this is what Jesus promises. He says, I will give you rest. A better, a better translation actually is I will give you refreshment. For a season, I used to help deliver firewood. This was many years ago. I was just looking for a side hustle because I wanted to get married. And I needed some extra cash for the engagement ring, right? Amen. You know about, whoever that is knows about the side hustle. There we go. Hallelujah. Preach it. That, that man has a testimony. <laughs> and so here I am, right, at, at my, my buddy's uncle's tree company, and man, he's got all these like tools and all these bells and whistles, but he's got nothing to actually load the truck. Me and the other yo-yo are the two that are like cat tossing these like pieces of wood until we fill a, a truck about that size and go make our delivery. Now, here's the thing. This was a long time ago, right? And so back then, yeah, piece of firewood, no problem. It's like, we, it'd be a game. It'd be like, yeah, woo, you know, like throwing it over the shoulder, under the leg, behind the back, right? Like getting it in, having fun. But as the day would go on, and you're doing this now multiple times, man, those pieces of firewood, ooh, my gosh. You hold one, it's like, this is nothing. You do that, though, however many times you're, you're feeling it. And so my favorite time of day wasn't actually quitting time. It was lunch. So I would order the biggest hero at the deli. I'd get the largest Gatorade, right? That sandwich, that drink, they'd be gone in a minute and a half. And then we would just sit there and be like, what just happened this morning, right? You kind of reflect, right, on what's going on. We'd, we'd talk, we'd catch up. It'd be, you know, half hour, 45 minutes where you can just be, where you could be refreshed. It was all that I needed in that moment to keep going for the rest of the afternoon until early evening. It was the food I needed, the nourishment that I needed, the refreshment that I needed to keep me going. Friends, Jesus' promise for us is for rest and refreshment. It's not a promise of you don't work. You see, refreshment is totally different than clocking out. It's not that there's nothing to labor over. It's not that there's nothing to give your life to. It's not that there's nothing that doesn't require everything that is within us. That's not what Jesus is saying. You see, we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, help me with this burden. Just take it all, the whole thing. Wipe it away. My family, my kids, right? Like, it's like, whoa, whoa, what are you asking for? But he doesn't do that. What Jesus says is, I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to touch you so that you can keep in step with me. I'm going to show up in power and in victory. I'm going to come in and save and rescue you. I'm going to give you all that you need, not so that you can just make it, not so that you can just be sustained. No, but so that you can thrive. It's not stopping of work. 
Because if we were to stop our work, if we were to let go of the yoke that Jesus gives to us, then the kingdom of God does not come into fruition in our world. And I will tell you that there's way too much that depends on the church in this way when it comes to the realization of God's kingdom. So are you looking just to quit? Or are you looking today to be refreshed, to be ministered to, so that you can get back out there and be and do all that Jesus is asking you to do? You see, friends, the question remains the same, right? The question's obvious. To what generation will we be compared to? At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, how will our lives be remembered? What kind of generation will we be described as? But the question that you and I will contend and wrestle with until we no longer have breath is what kind of generation do we want to become? Jesus is still asking the question. He asks that of you and he asks that of me. I wonder how I will compare your generation. But all the while, you and I get to answer the question, who do we want to become? So let me talk to the generations that are in the room. Traditionalists, those of you born between, don't laugh, 1900 and 1945, you were labeled the silent generation. You were told, not by me, I didn't label you this, you were, you were taught not to cause trouble. But can I bless you this morning? Can I bless you to be all the trouble that the enemy can't stand up against? Can I bless you to be that? Give the enemy trouble. Baby boomers, those of you born between 1946 and 1964, your generation was labeled the me generation. You were taught not to trust anybody. You were taught to challenge every single authority that was before you. But Jesus is saying in this moment that you can trust him. He's saying you can trust me. All you've been carrying, all you've been burdened by, all the worries that you have for the generations that are coming after you, every way in which you think our world is unraveling, it's not. It's not. If Colossians is true and Jesus holds everything together, then friends, he is still holding it all together. But he's saying you can trust me, everything that burdens you because you thought no one was trustworthy because the only person you can trust was me, myself, and I. Jesus is saying lay down your burden before me. I will give you nourishment. I will help you keep in step with me. Generation X, those of you born between 1965 and 1976, your generation was labeled as a forgotten generation. But Jesus has not forgotten you. He hears you. He sees you. All of your toiling, all everything that you feel like you have to do to prove yourself, Jesus is saying, stop. I love you. You don't have to prove yourself. I've already done that for you. You are not forgotten. Millennials, let me holler at us for a second. Finally, I can say me, right? 97, 1977 to 1995. Good years. Um, we have been labeled as a generation that's, that wants to fix every wrong that has gone on in our world. You see, much of how you've been raised, much of what we've bought into is information and 
knowledge. See, we think we know best. It's true. (laughs) We think we know best, but there is one who knows better than you and me. There is one who will call you. It's not a might. He will call you to follow him when it doesn't make sense, when there is nothing clear before you, when no amount of information given to you will help you navigate what's coming. But he's saying, trust me, because I know more, and I am wiser, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're bigger. They're better. Gen Z, you might be in the room. Those of you born between 96 and 2015, everyone, everyone is trying to catch up to you. You are the first generation to be fully digital. Much of how you have been raised is all about being smart, stable, and secure. But so much so that you run a danger of being paralyzed when God calls your name into what is not stable, into what is unsafe into what is unsecure. Will you answer the call when your name comes up? Friends, what is it that I'm trying to say? Jesus is asking the question, what will I compare this generation to? We can let, here's the thing, you and I, we can let the world answer that for us. I was silent. I was focused on me. I was focused on my future investments. I played it safe. Man, I was arrogant. I was entitled. We can let the world do that for us. But friends, at the cross, all the generations find their purpose. You see, it's at the cross that Jesus made permanent problems, permanent damage, permanent trouble for the evil one. It's at the cross that Jesus, uh, that God proved that he could be trusted to fulfill what he promised. It's at the cross where Jesus offers you paradise instead of all your toil and troubles. It's at the cross that you and I obtain our greatest security. You see, the cross made absolutely no sense, but scripture tells us that God uses the nonsensical things of the world to bring life, to bring hope, to bring beauty. The question you and I have to contend with is, will we say yes? So how about it, Plant Church? You in? Will you say yes with uncompromised obedience? Will you say yes when there is a lack of information? Will you say yes when there is a lack of resources? Will you say yes when it makes no sense at all to say yes? Friends, you say yes. You will learn to perceive and participate and everything that God is doing, and everything that God does never fails. When you say yes, you become like a child again, leaning on his power, his strength to pull you through. When you say yes, you will get everything you need and more to stay on task with Jesus Christ in his mission. So if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to stand. Don't worry about the person that's to the left or to the right. If you're saying yes, if you're not saying yes, don't stand. It's okay. It's okay. It is. I'm not here to condemn you. If you're saying yes, then stand and say, yes, God, I want it. I'm here for it. Let me bless you. Father, thank you. Lord, what you did with 11 knuckleheads, Lord, 
is change the world. They didn't know. It didn't make sense. Every time they thought you were going right, you went left. But God, you never failed. You never gave up. You never gave in to the evil one. And Lord, because of that, Lord, we are blessed. Because of your yes to humanity, God, we have life. So Lord, I bless our church to be a church that says yes to you with uncompromised obedience. That, say, that says yes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Not just for our transformation, but for the transformation of the lives of the people all around us, both locally and globally. So thank you for my brothers and sisters for their yes. Would you bless them and strengthen them in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.